All right, welcome in Cube Show Podcast. College football podcast comes to you on Sundays. Usually focus around the SEC. We're going to broaden the horizon just a little bit today. Got a special guest coming up for you here in just a few minutes. Um, recorded this a couple of days ago. So some of the news that's new to us while we were recording, um, not going to be brand new to you here on the show, but relevant conversation either way. Uh, I'm going to go through a couple of guys coming out of the portal, some of the things that are happening to some of the teams, and we'll just kind of go from there uh, because I'm not going to spend too much time because I went long with Josh Pate, who's going to join us later in the show. You guys know each and every week we are brought to you by Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious. Appreciate them being the title sponsor of the show. Go pick them at your grocery store. If they don't have them there, first off, tell them they need them. Second off, go to wicklespickles.com, promo code CUBE, say 15%. They'll ship them to you and you'll have them that way. Great to snack on. Uh, at Wickles Pickles on Instagram, they'll give you recipes, different ways you can use them. They are fantastic. Had a lot of you say, never tried them, tried them after I heard the show, love them, and we're excited for that. So thank you for doing that. All right, um, a lot of things to get to before I welcome in Josh. I just want to run through a couple quickly. A um, couple of transfers from Auburn. Cam Riley's going to be out defensively. Donovan Kaufman's going to be out defensively. Kaufman, I think, a really good player, but hasn't really been healthy consistently enough to be a regular player in the lineup. But he does add to a lot gone from that secondary. And you know, a couple of guys going to be gone from that secondary. Keontae Scott, we mentioned last week, coming back. That's big. But you're losing a lot of players, a lot of uh, – a lot of important reps and snaps, they're going to be gone from that secondary and you're bringing a new defensive coordinator as there are multiple names that you guys would immediately know, especially being fans of the SEC, because one has been at almost every SEC school. Another has been at a couple SEC schools when you're talking about guys who are interviewing for spots on that defensive staff. But either way, you know, you lose Zach Etheridge, uh, it looks like McGriff's going to be back. So we'll see who else gets added to that staff, but you need a couple of different guys that can come in and help in different ways. So um, Antonio Kite from Alabama commits, guy with a bunch of talent, hasn't played a ton yet, uh, but I think it's a good get because, again, you need to add bodies into that secondary, along with Jaron Thompson, a safety from Texas. Thompson, more of a box safety, kind of what Jalen Key, I think, was to Alabama last year. And Jalen Key, I think they realized had better coverage skills than they anticipated once he got there, and they worked him out and got him through practice. So... Uh, I don't think Thompson's going to be somebody who's one-on-one in coverage a whole lot, but can be an extra body near the line of scrimmage that also can cover enough range to be able to play safety for you. So as much nickel and dime as you're playing these days, you've got to have extra bodies. And there's one thing that helped Auburn last year on that side of the ball with Ron Roberts is so many different DBs that had versatility that could help you in different ways. Um, the DB that's dominating the conversation, though, is Caleb Downs. Uh, going to Ohio State, former Alabama safety, and – it adds to an already stacked defense. you got a couple bodies inside coming back, some linebackers coming back, JT's coming back over off the edge. Uh, you got an elite corner that's going to return. Like This could be – you think right now when you start looking around the, the nation and Georgia's going to be in the mix, yes, I think they're going to have a couple youngsters that off the edge are going to be really good this year. Linebacker, going to be phenomenal. Uh, still going to have strong players at safety, even though you lose a couple that are going to be gone. But – Ohio State's got to be towards the top of the list. Teams got the best defense in the nation next year. Uh, when you immediately think about who's going to be back, and I know we have an old, another whole portal cycle, but with what they're going to have returning, you add Caleb Downs to that, could be scary. I mean, you've already added Will Howard, Judkins, and Seth McLaughlin offensively. Now Julian Sayan, uh, the Alabama quarterback that hasn't played college football yet, apparently might be on board with Ohio State. You go get Bill O'Brien, who I think is a good offensive coordinator. 
Did he get a little complacent at Alabama with what Bryce Young was able to do? Maybe, but he told me it was one that was going to be driven by the quarterback. Like the, the quarterback was going to run the show. So that's what you get with Billy O. Um, I think it's a good hire. And I think if Ryan Day can get him to mix and match some concepts with he and some other people on staff, it could be end up being a great hire. They still have to address the offensive line. And that's something that's been lacking for the last couple of years to the Ohio State standard, maybe not in general, but to the Ohio State standard, it has been. So Ohio State killing in the portal. Uh, Caden Proctor, former Alabama offensive lineman, he's going to go back to Iowa. This is kind of a natural fit. I, I'm honestly, I don't, I think this may have happened if Coach Saban stayed. Um, probably should have ended up there the first time, either way, a little homesick, and he's able to go back. Didn't have a great year, but he played as a freshman. Guys, not many tackles have great years as freshmen. It's just the reality of it. It's, it's a, it, I think it's the most difficult spot in college football to come in and play early. And he did it against some really good players. He did it against some schemes that were amped up, and he had some trouble. I think he's a guard down the road, unless he can really lean up, like to the tune of what Evan Neal did when he was at Alabama. But either way, he's got a ton of talent and could be a kid that's really going to help that Iowa program. All right, uh, something that helps me is every plate. Now, listen, I'll just tell you guys right now that every plate is a place that you can get a meal for $1.49 plus. You get dollar steaks for life by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49cube. So 49CUBE. You can get dollar steaks for life. Like that's tough to beat. Get started with every plate for just a dollar forty nine per meal plus one dollar steaks for life by going to everyplate.com slash podcast. Enter promo code four nine cube C U B E. Your subscription must be active to qualify and redeem the one dollar steaks. Um, now listen, at every plate, it, it's hard sometimes to have a healthy meal. You're running around, you're going crazy, you got kids, you're on the road easy to be bad, try to be good with every plate. Now, there are a lot of different ways that every plate can help you. They have meals at different price points. They have different diets that they can help you out with. There's so many different easy ways that every plate can help you out. If you're trying to do better in 2024, let every plate take back your time with fewer trips to the grocery store and meals that are ready in six simple steps. It's that easy. Save even more time with quick and easy recipes. The cleanup option is going to be easy. It's not going to be a lot there. You can count on every plate to make mealtimes easier without compromising on quality. Every plate recipes include only the highest quality ingredients, including substantially sourced seafood that meets the Monterey Bay Aquarium seafood rankings. And who doesn't think about meeting the Monterey Bay Aquarium seafood rankings every time you have a piece of fish? I know I do. So go to everyplate.com now, check them out, see what they have that you like, slash podcast and use promo code 49CUBE and you can take advantage of those dollar stakes for life, just like the NWO did it back in the day. All right, um, Ole Miss continues to rack up in the portal. Trey Amos, Louisiana corner that went to Alabama that was actually pretty big for Alabama towards the end of the season. SEC Championship game specifically had a couple guys beat up. He plugs right in, makes a couple big plays, does a good job. So you get a ton of experience and you get 6'1", 197. On top of that, you get a Marion Walker from Michigan, 6'4", 190. The reason that these are big, one, guys who've played. Two, Pete Golding emphasized a couple things to me when I met with him this year. Length at corner was one. And length really overall defensively because he wants it more edge, that jack linebacker position. He wanted it more at linebacker. Speed, 
and length and athleticism were the three things he emphasized that he wanted to improve on. I thought they went out of their way to address the D-line last year. They've done a little bit more this year, but now starting to address that secondary, which has still been problematic. And you're adding some length and athleticism with some experience that's going to be big for Pete Golding. If he wants to be as pressure-laden as he normally is, got to have guys on the back end that he can rely on and two pretty good ones that he's going to bring in that have some experience. Um, now, the whole Alabama thing, I'll hit on that for just a moment. And again, I don't want to take up too much time because I went long with Josh, and it's a great interview. You guys are going to love it. Everybody's losing kids. Everybody. Well, Georgia lose like 17 last year or something. Um, if Harbaugh decides to leave, Michigan's going to lose kids. Washington has two starters coming back. They're in the playoff. Texas lost a bunch of guys to the draft into the portal. It happens. Now, I know that Alabama maybe has a few more, but let's also consider the fact that a lot of those guys went to play for Nick Saban and some of the other high-profile assistants that were there. They're not there anymore. That's okay. And they got more four and five stars than everybody else. So when their guys hit the portal, it's going to make more noise and more news because it's a player that was more highly rated. It's the reality of it. And there's been more of those. They knew this was going to happen. They knew the short-term loss was probably going to be significant. But the long-term gain, especially based on some of the people that I talked to over the weekend, were super confident with it there. Also super confident that more and more people need to figure out that Kalen DeBoer was the top guy on this list. That all but confirmed to me over the weekend. So I still think Alabama's in a good spot. You still have a ton of talent and a couple guys that are coming in to be even more excited about. Austin Mack, quarterback, 6'6", 230 from Washington, four-star. I think the staff likes him. I think they brought him for a reason. I think they let some other guys walk for a reason. It's the reality of it. Um, Parker Brailsford can help. We know Seth McLaughlin's going to Ohio State. Dow Court out. So Parker Brailsford plays the entire year for Washington. He's a kid that understands angles, steps, hand placement, hat placement, technique and fundamentals, solid. Plays a little bit light and ass. He's not a super heavy kid. That's okay. At center, I think you can negotiate that and be okay there. He'll have another offseason with Baloo and those guys to be able to put some weight on. I think he's someone that you will be pleasantly surprised with this time next year that Alabama was able to get plug in. So you're already seeing some others come in, and you only have, what, South Alabama, Arizona, Washington, and is there another one recently that, that their coach has been replaced? I, I guess you'd say San Jose State. So – I mean, there's not a lot to choose from in the portal that can depart right now. And everyone's going to go after the Alabama kids because they're the most high profile. When it opens back up, Alabama will address some needs, and I think they'll find some quality players. I'm not concerned about it. Does it change the dynamic a little bit? But the greatest coach of all time walked away. The dynamic was going to be different. It was going to change. It's just the reality. Now, there's an unfortunate aspect of it to where we are in today's college football, and I don't know if there's a quick fix. And I hear certain people say, close the portal windows, only have them open up once. Okay, that's fine. These kids are still announcing their intentions to go in the portal when it opens up. So what does it matter if it's open for a week, a month, a year, two years? They're still going to tell you they're going in, even if it's not open. And when it is open, they're just going to go in. So I don't, I don't know what the quick fix is other than limit the amount of times you can transfer or limit the amount of schools you can transfer to, however you want to state it or however you want to write it up. That, to me, is the only way to make it any better at all. Um, another school, though, that's absolutely killing it is Texas. You get Isaiah Bond from Alabama. You lose a couple pass catchers. That helps out. Amari Nyblack comes in. He is in almost the exact mold to what Jatavian Sanders was. A guy has got a chance to be one of the first tight ends off the board. 
He runs 22 miles an hour. He's super athletic. He's willing to get in there and mix it up as a blocker a little bit. Uh, but the coaches raved about his athleticism. Saw him make a couple big plays this year. I think in what Sark does and how he moves his pieces around, Nye Black could be a massive get for the Texas Longhorns. You've also got Silas Bolden from Oregon State. So now your slot's done. Um, you got two guys you can count on in the slot that can take quick throws, turn them into big plays. That's big. Matthew Golden, kind of a do-it-all receiver from Houston. He's got 23 catches that have gone for 15 or more yards in the last two years. And then Trey Moore, the edge from UTSA, which you had one good edge defender last year, but let's be real. Texas needed to add some twitch on the outside, and they do this with with Trey Moore. So 22 sacks the last two years, uh, 6'3", 235. So he's got a little extra juice to be able to dip and rip and get upfield. I think he's a guy that's going to help Texas a lot and absolutely can be big. Game time can be big. If you're looking for tickets, concert, sporting event, whatever it is, Game Time can help you out. Go to GameTime.co now and you can see exactly what they can do for you. You're going to get last-minute tickets, flash deals, zone deals, easy to find and buy tickets for every event in your area. And you get views from your seat in the venue. So you can see exactly what it's going to look like. They have the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, and job loss protection. So Game Time is going to take care of you. That's one, one thing that you definitely know. It's the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. So either go to your phone and download the GameTime app or go to GameTime.co and you're going to be able to use promo code CUBE and get $20 off your first order. So whether it's a concert going around, we got basketball in full swing, NFL's got some playoffs going. If you want to get into some of those, there are a lot of different ways GameTime can help you out. And Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event. And even an hour after it starts, it's the place to find last-minute seats. Again, GameTime.co, promo code CUBE, save $20. All right, uh, Tennessee, woo, the big one today. Uh, they get a LSU offensive tackle, Lance Hurd, 6'6", 340. And he started, I believe it was the Army game this year. I know he filled in once for an injury. And physically, he's everything that you would want an offensive tackle. Um, talking to Denbrock and some Brad Davis, some of the guys over there, like just raved about his athleticism, his power, his strength, his movement. He wanted to be one of the starters. And they have two starters coming back that have been starting for two years. Tough. Hits the portal, asking for more money, gets it, I guess, in Tennessee. And he's going to be able to plug in opposite John Campbell. And I'm going to tell you this, he's better prospect than Gerald Mincy. So that offensive line got better. And you got a great offensive line coach in Glenn Ellerby, who's going to be able to help him improve. Um, I think some of the inconsistencies that I've seen in his game can be masked in that system early on. He needs to learn to bend a little bit better, specifically in his lower body, uh, starting with his stance. And if he learns to do that and that some guys are going to be able to run around him at the next level, he can be a big time player. When I say big time, I mean one of the best tackles in college football. He has that kind of ability. It's just we haven't seen a ton of him yet. And there's some, um, you know, there's some little details that need to be ironed out for him to reach that potential. But this is a good fit for him, I think. And I, you know, he's obviously not going to go in there and want to be the second team left tackle like some other guys have wanted to the last few years. So go in there and be maybe the starting left tackle. And does John Campbell go over to right? I've seen some of the videos that are floating around, and John Campbell I think has that mentality that he doesn't care; he just wants what's best for the team. So I think that part will be interesting to watch. And you'll see just maybe how unselfish that Tennessee locker room is if that takes place. But either way, this is a mammoth get for a lot of different reasons for Tennessee, a lot, because 
You lost Mincy after he said he was coming back. Looked like you were going to have a pretty big void there. The other tackles that filled in this year didn't look great. And now you get a kid that has first-round potential, physically is exactly what you would want from that position, and going to be able to come in because he has some real SEC experience and play right away. So massive gift for the Vols, good gift for them. I'll tell you what would be a good gift for you will be Blue Delta Jeans. Go to BlueDeltaJeans.com right now, and you can figure out how to digitally fit yourself with a custom pair of jeans. Blue Delta Jeans can do that. Uh, or they'll come to you, or you go to them right there in Oxford. Make sure you tell Nick and the guys you heard them right here on Cube Show. If you want premium, the best jeans you're ever going to have that are custom fit to you and your body, that are stretchy, cool, comfortable, you can dress them up, dress them down, casual, whatever it is. I only wear Blue Delta jeans now. And I got a bunch of other pairs of jeans in my drawers. And I just don't pull them out because the Blue Deltas are so good. You will think the exact same. You can get a gift card for somebody else if you want. Uh, if you got Father's Day coming up, if you got Valentine's Day coming up, birthday, whatever that is, BlueDeltaJeans.com. Take care of that there and they will hook you up. All right. Just a couple guys I wanted to go over there and hit and touch on for you. Going to go to Josh Pate. Um, Josh, one of the best in the business, in my opinion. I learn from him every time I watch his show. Uh, and I learned a lot of different things from him too, not just college football stuff, a lot of how to do a show and how to carry yourself, different things like that. So I look up to him in a lot of different ways and I appreciate him Friday night, taking some time to hop on. Uh, we both kind of had a little downtime. It was one of the only times we could do it. We decided to get it done. Caleb Downs news breaks while we're doing it. So we kind of discussed that, but last year's season, this upcoming season, portal, Bama, Ohio state, we go in a lot of different directions. I think you're going to love this sit down with Josh Pate, late kick with Josh Pate. We actually straightened that out during this interview as well. Please go subscribe to his YouTube page. Most of you listening do because you're here because he told you to be here. But if you don't, please go do that. You can find his podcast wherever you get yours as well. It is fantastic. It's one of my college football go-tos. It needs to be one of your college football go-tos. And I appreciate you tuning in for this one. It's going to be fun. Here's Josh Pate. All right, here he is. Josh Pate. I believe he has a show, podcast. Uh, I, do we see stadiums? Do we see you in stadiums? Um, I want. I, I heard about you. Wanted to have you on because I, th I think some people think you have a, a show. Uh, some people out there may not know you, may not know what you do. Um, I don't know if you're on a network, but um, it's good to have you in either way. Yeah, you, basically, you're asking me who I think I am. Like, who, who would you say you think you are? Uh, look, at the end of the day. We're all just guys with shows on on the internet, isn't that right? Aren't we all just that guy with a show? Just that that guy who says things. Uh, let's come up with a name for the segment here, even though we're, um, I don't know if I could do this weekly. But uh, Pate cakes, like Pate. Um, yeah, I got nothing. I didn't even you know think about what's, that what's beautiful is you run by the stuff you actually want to talk to me about, and we could ad lib all that. <laughs> this is what you need to give me a runway for. You need to give me twenty minutes to think about this. This is uh, this is the Pate State infomercial, is what this is. And yeah, we're same, here. Forget we're, it, baby. We're trying to build the collective. We're trying to get people on board. If you could sign up for that monthly subscription, that would be nice. Um, Late kick with Josh. YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. Most of you probably subscribing. If not, you need to. It is the best college football show out there. Other than McElroy and Kublik in the morning, other than Cube Show, 
and other than when I appear on SiriusXM's SEC channel. Other than that, it is the best college football show you can get your hands on. So. Other than me, I think it was at WrestleMania 17 when Paul Heyman was doing guest color commentary and Bobby the Brain Heenan came out to call the gimmick battle royal. And Paul Heyman, with a straight face, said, the greatest manager in the history of this business other than me. <laughs> The brain was one of the best ever. Yeah. There's no doubt. All right. So let's let's get to, on a pick your brain on some things. There's a lot going on right now in college football. We're going to hit some of that because we have to. It's just there are some things with misconceptions and people are generating these narratives. I, I want to go through a few of those with you, but let's go back to last year. Uh, have you copyrighted the on Bait State yet? I'm working I want to get on to, it. Get it's to a, that. a very heavily trafficked word. It's not the easiest thing mm. to patent, but we're working on it. There will be lawyers for that one. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll try to get that going. Let's say you are the professor and all of 2023 college football was your student or your, your, your students in your class. How would you grade 2023 the season? Um, solid B plus. Oh, I, here's why I struggle going any higher. So you know how every single season has taught us that as soon as you think you have the picture figured out, it just redefines itself. You always have the volcanic Saturday. We did not have the volcanic Saturday. It never happened, which is wild because in normal years, if you told me at the beginning of a season, you're not going to have a volcanic Saturday. You know, the, the top echelon, the top five or six are going to remain virtually unchanged from the time the first committee rankings come out till the end of the, the finish line. I would have thought that must mean we have multiple elite teams that truly separate themselves. Right. And I'm not saying we didn't have separation at the top, but we did not have one team that would have been a five point favorite over number two and would have been a 13 and a half point favorite over number three. We didn't have that. We didn't have a clear number one, number two. And frankly, the team that we thought was the clear number one most of the year didn't even make the playoff. That was Georgia. So it was like, if you look back in retrospect, it was a climate, an environment that was ripe for volcanic eruption. Yeah. We just didn't get it. Do you think the committee kind of ruined a little bit of that for us? And and when I say that, like when you were going through that, what I was thinking of, so the committee kind of force fed us Oregon for a while. And I'm not saying Oregon wasn't a good team, but they kind of forced a lot of people to believe they were that team. And then obviously didn't really accept Alabama until the very end. And then, you know, the Florida State situation, it, it is what it is, but where they were, where they weren't at the end. How responsible was a committee for without that volcanic weekend that you talked about? maybe not allowing us to enjoy all of what we usually do from college football in a regular season. Well, I enjoyed it because I divorced myself from the committee, uh, but I know most people don't. Most people are pretty locked on that thing on Tuesday night. Um, I told you, actually, I remember talking to you about this. I'm so divorced from that process until the very end because history has taught me the first few rankings don't matter. Um, I was unaware, to be perfectly honest with you, I was unaware that they had put Oregon ahead of Texas and Bama. So then all of a sudden I realized, wait, they've got Oregon ahead of them. Now, I thought highly of Oregon. I had them power yeah. rated like top three. So it wasn't that I thought the the perception was invalid, but I go by a different set of metrics than that committee's supposed to. That committee has got you know criteria. They've got resume bullet points that they're supposed to go by. And I looked at it. McElroy started pointing this out on the live broadcast when they were doing it on Tuesday night. He said, can we just ask ourselves, why is Oregon 
ahead of two teams that outmetric them, for lack of a better term. And um, I think that's where the committee set themselves up to fail because I think that they what they were doing was they were almost they were almost manifesting in their up to the minute rankings what they thought was coming. They thought Oregon. Yeah was going to do this. Therefore, they put them up there. They didn't think Alabama was going to do that. Therefore, they didn't bother to even rank them high. And then they had a big you-know-what sandwich served to them when things didn't play out the way they thought they would. And, you know, I had a FS, I had a Miami fan the other night in a Q&A session we did on Late Kick. He said, man, hasn't this Florida State whining really gotten old? And I'm like, well, the death threats have gotten old. Those <laughs> get old pretty quick. But the general tone I don't know any other fan base that would feel any different. If you win a Power Five conference championship and you're undefeated and you do everything history says you need to do to make the playoff, and yeah. you feel like there was this, this twofold apparatus built against you, one being the committee and the other being like major players in college football media, not only sharing opinions that they don't think you should be in, because I did that, but there were other folks just like openly taking shots at Florida State and like openly using their platform to campaign against them. Like how, how would anyone feel any differently than Florida state fans have? So, I mean, I was the one who thought that the committee may have gotten the right four in, but at the same time, I thought their criteria and their process sucked. So I don't know, but um, I think in general, yeah, the committee kind of screwed things up, but I don't think that's um, I don't think that's the biggest breaking news headline in the world. Well, it's interesting that you brought up McElroy's name because you see my, my pencil here. I'm gonna, I had a note down, like, tell McElroy Pate divorced himself from the show on Tuesdays. Mm. But then you said you watched it and saw him. So I'm going to erase it and, and yeah. it's, we're not going to, we're not going to share that. Uh, so we'll, we'll be okay there. All right. So let's, let's go from 23 to 24. And you've been pretty outspoken about some of the changes and not just going into this year, but a while back. And then now to this year, how you feel about where some things are headed. Um, not the, as big a fan as a lot of other people. Now we have just this giant cargo ship of change that is coming to college football. And Meemaw once said, you know what she said about cargo ships? We're not going to, oh, yeah. we don't even need to go well, into remind that. Remind everyone you know. else. Of course I know, but remind everyone else. When a cargo ship is full, Get out of the way, as mm-hmm. I think that's what it was. I'm not real. I can't recall. Uh, this can be a single coach, a single player, the 12 team playoff, where the conferences are headed. Uh, obviously, now Nick Saban's out. We got different players going to different places. What's the big change coming to college football in 24? You're actually excited about, and what's the one that you are sort of loathing that you're not looking forward to at all? Um. Okay, so. They may go hand in hand. Like, even though I wasn't for expansion, I do have a very, very um, invested curiosity about how this is all going to work. And I do think that in the short term, we've got a few years here before your mind gets retrained on how to process the playoff, where everybody who's alive for a playoff spot is going to excite you. So we could have eight and three Iowa State going into the last week of the season, knowing if they win uh, the the ESPN metric, whatever in the world that thing is, says they got a 38 percent chance to make the playoff. And by the way, it's the team- FPI. Yes, yeah, sorry. sorry FPI. I think they had a three loss team. Number one at one yeah. point still. But yeah. hey, so, it's, so, it's so the computers. FPIBS says you have X percentage chance of making it. And uh, so that'll be fun. Now, in due time, I think you and I both understand that 
we're going to come to a place where we say, oh, wait, we kind of got hoodwinked into thinking that the value of making the playoff will just always mean the same thing as it did in the four-team era. But it doesn't feel like my mind wants to place the same emphasis and importance on this three-loss Big 12 team that could back their way in as an undefeated or one-loss team back in the day that had a shot to make it in the four-team field. So that that's down the road. But in the meantime, we've got that. What I'm not looking forward to at all is I'm not looking forward to I don't know what to sound. I'm not looking forward to the conversation that's already existed around uh, teams like Ohio State. I mean, Ohio State's loading up in the portal right now. They got a bunch of returning starters, and we always have to deal or with or at least listen to that conversation of what happens if they don't fill in the blank, and it's win a right. championship. Um, like I don't know. It's even the local conversation up there, though. Like it, normally, when you get closer to the program. Hopefully, some of the conversation becomes more nuanced and logic based. Not all the time, but you hope that's the case. Even at Ohio State, they're saying the same thing. They're saying it doesn't matter if we win eleven games. Like if we don't beat Michigan, if we don't do this, if we don't go to the playoff. If now the conversation will be if we don't go to the playoff and win a few rounds, because that's a thing now. Then what do we do with Ryan Day? I, I will tell you this though. I'll put it to you the way someone put it to me. Um, who's more in the scouting side of things at the pro level. He said, you know, something to watch is you may need to have some concern about whether Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day uh, are, are a lot more similar than you imagined. And those are just guys who had a program built for them already and handed to them, and they may be struggling with hiring. Not roster management, not building and developing a roster. Um, you've seen Lincoln Riley struggle with hires, and they've had to overhaul the entire defensive side of the ball. Now, Ryan Day, they're loading up on talent, and it's hidden the fact that he had to make several major staff moves up there recently. And it, it shouldn't be the biggest surprise in the world, but if there's something maybe outside of the quarterback position, and it just remains to be seen there with Will Howard, as, as much as that's a big question mark, the other question mark could be, is the staff overall good enough? Jim Knowles is. That defense figures oh, yeah. just overall, is the staff good enough? All right, so let's go here. This is because I love some of the things that you said there about, I haven't thought about that, Day and Riley together and sort of going down the same path. But you and I have talked about Ohio State. Greg and I have talked about them a lot in that the biggest difference between 95 Ohio State, 05 Ohio State, 15 Ohio State, and maybe even – 18, 19, that's where it really kind of started to shift. It's just that blunt force trauma, the physicality. And it used to be where the second wave of guys on, like even like a Draymond Jones would come in, you're like, man, this dude's mauling people and he's not a starter. Uh, what kind of coach is, who is the new coach? Who is the new guy? And I don't mean a name, but I mean the profile of the new guy that can dominate this college football. Because now Coach Saban's out. And he had it all set up his way. You know, he was kind of the Burger King, like his way right away. And it was still going to work because he built up all that equity. And he deserved every ounce of that equity that he built up. But as we move forward, we've got Dabo doing his portal thing. You just mentioned Riley and Day, two really interesting names when you contrast them because they do feel like they're sort of on the same path. Kirby feels like he is sort of on an island right now because he can still kind of MF his guys. But he knows how to pat him on the rear end. He knows how to motivate him. He sort of speaks their language. He's got the energy. 
outside of him, what what is our what is our profile moving forward of? And I haven't even thought about this, but you just made me think about it. What's the profile of the next wave of dominant college head coach? I don't think we will have a dominant separator at head coach for a little while. I think it's a, I think it's borderline impossible because what Saban did is impossible. He just did it anyway. Um, here's here's what's interesting. So you know from being in the, the SEC forever, the talk down here when you have newcomers, DeBoer's probably hearing this right now is. This is all about player acquisition and talent acquisition. It's about players down here. You're not going to out-scheme people with lesser talent, which, which to a certain extent is true. Um, but Josh, he ain't from here. That's true. That's true. You know, Dan Mullen is an example now for just everyone till the end of time. If, you, if you're not from here and you're good X's and O's, you're Dan Mullen and no better. So <laughs> think about this now. So let's we're still very early in the new age of college football with with what the NIL and portal sandwich together means. I will humbly suggest to you that maybe we're approaching an era where scheme and X and O knowledge are vastly more important in the SEC than they've ever been because the skill in acquiring talent. Now and moving forward is just how deep your pockets are. Now, someone's going to come in the comment section before I finish that sentence and say, well, that's it's always been down there. Y'all been buying players the whole time. Yeah. If, if you really want to think that three quarters of a million dollars and a Lamborghini guaranteed to just anyone with four or more stars next to their name is how it's always been, be my guest. Um, that's news to everyone else in the conference, if that's the way it's always been. So what I'm telling you is... Once upon a time, the way to dominate was just to completely obliterate everyone on the recruiting trail by any means necessary. And that would still happen today if you could do it. I don't know that anyone's going to do that. You'll have your big dogs that, that will always exist. But I actually think you may be seeing a renaissance, even in the SEC, of valuing in-game decision-making uh, the yeah. word tactician is about to be thrown around a whole lot more than it's ever been thrown around where you and I are from. And so I don't know if that's a recipe to dominate, but I do think that there may be a, a new age of coach that kind of elevates in the SEC and in general over the next decade that that maybe feels a little different than the Sabans. Kirby's going to be in this, but, but the Saban-Kirby feel. Sure. Maybe you have some other... Uh, like Eli Drinkwitz is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. A, a guy like Eli, you would never think about in the current state of affairs and say, oh, that's a guy who I could see dominating. And maybe at Missouri, he doesn't elevate. But let's say he's not always at Missouri or let's say Missouri just just finds itself. Th- the next 10 years probably make it a lot more likely for a coach seemingly out of nowhere like that to elevate than the previous 10 or 15 years ever would have. You know, what's interesting about that too is one thing that could compound that is the lack of development. And with guys moving all the time, all over the place, and essentially, like, you don't miss a spring ball, but when you show up somewhere and then you have to go right into spring practice, you don't know what you're doing. It's like the first day you're in a hotel room. You don't even feel like you're there to the second day. You don't, you don't know where your position group goes on the field. You don't know if you go through the shoots first, you push the sled first, you go to the T-boards first. All of that, and Coach Saban tried to explain that to us before this season. He said, you guys all 
you know, you hear this second team guy, third team guy leaves and you just think, oh, you know, whatever. He's like, but we've trained those players for a year, two years, three years. Now new player comes in. He doesn't know any of those things. And there's that famous clip floating around from the behind the scenes, whatever it was a couple of years ago. And he's in the staff meeting and he's yelling at the guys. He was like, well, why did it take us so long to get through the drill? And they're like, well, so-and-so and so-and-so had never been through the drill. And he said, why didn't we teach them the drill before practice and then go through the drill instead of using our practice time to teach the drill? Just magnify that or multiply it times, you know, 10, 15, 20, mm-hmm. whatever new guys you have. It makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Now, does that also change staffs? And do we get away from the, you know, Lionel James where he's just the awesome personality, doesn't really know a lot about technique fundamentals, not really coaching guys up from the position, so to speak, trying all the efforts there. Yeah, but he's a recruiter. I mean, you know, like I do, tight end running back coach, a lot of times that's your recruiter. Does it even go further down that path of we don't need as many of you anymore? I need a guy that can go out there and tell me why I need to be running 12 personnel. Right. Or what we need to run into the boundary in the red zone against that defense and that look. Is that, is that where you need to go? So it's interesting to think about it from that perspective. Go back to rosters, though, because um, Greg and I had a really cool conversation kind of by accident on our show before Coach Saban resigned. And he sort of put out this warning to Alabama fans. And he said, listen, you guys need to understand these days of Alabama having above and beyond everybody else's roster, the most talented in the country, they're gone. And then just having the best roster, that might not happen anymore. Now, this is before Saban actually shut it down. And I actually countered him on that show. And I said, you know what, though? The good news, Greg, if you're an Alabama fan, it feels like it's going to normalize a little bit. Going into this last year, Washington, Oregon, Florida State, A&M, LSU, Ohio State, Michigan, Florida State, they all were close. Like Georgia, they were in that neighborhood at least. They might not be better. But you wouldn't have put them on the same field and said, oh, just the talent discrepancy, they can't paint. Like They could win that game by accident. I always say they could go in there and hand the ball 60 times and win that game. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't mean no matter what the runs they call, they were going to win that game. Now that Coach Saban's gone and we see this Bama roster being decimated, Washington roster decimated, Arizona roster getting there, Michigan's probably will have some issues here in the next couple of days, weeks, whatever. What's the roster discrepancy going to look like in 24? And I know it's not completely finished. So obviously, we're not going to hold you to this. But do you see two, three, four teams way ahead of everybody else? Is it more of like a 12 to 15 team kind of group together? They're going to be towards the top. Where do you see the roster differential with all this craziness that we've been ha- that's been happening since this season ended? There's going to be some differential. Uh, Georgia, Ohio State, Texas, I think will be up there. Oh, yeah. in, in they've the loaded up in the offseason. Yeah. And yeah. so it, you'll be able to distinguish on paper, and the trained eye will be able to distinguish in person. Those guys look a little bit different, one through 85, and especially one through about 40, than these other teams. However, uh, especially with Ohio State, for example. That's contingent on what Will Howard becomes at quarterback because, frankly, I could have said that a lot about him this past year, but they weren't special at quarterback. Uh, but let's just look, broaden that for a second. Um, I think the days of projecting what a program is going to be over the next two to three years are done. Uh, in fact, I'm just probably going to talk team for the foreseeable future and maybe not program so much because it used to be, I mean, you know as well as I do, if you were around a team they would tell you, let's say we're in 2023. It used to be very popular to say, you know, Cole, 
that, uh, that 2025 and especially 26 team, that's the one we've circled. Now, now yeah. we hope to accomplish something before then, but those are the ones because our interior offensive line will have grown up by then. And we, go, we got two receivers. Look at this tight end class that's really green right now. Now you don't talk like that anymore. I mean, Oregon, that guy needs 10 pounds, 20 pounds, whatever. He needs to lose, get in shape. Whatever. Yeah, he needs to yeah, get in the weight yeah. room. Right. Very, very, and here's what's funny. It's almost like I'm saying football used to be a developmental game. Now it's not anymore. No, it'll always be a developmental game. It's just a bunch of folks are going to count on someone else to develop guys. And then when they're in need, they'll go get them it's like a farm system. I mean, think about this for just a second. Uh, we were doing the show the other night and we were talking about how many teams have overhauled their team by overhauling their quarterback room. So Lanning watches Bo Nix walk out the door. Now, in old school terms, you would say, well, who do they have? Ty Thompson, and he hasn't been remarkable at any point in his career. What are they going to do? Well, that was back then. Now you just go get Oklahoma starter and UCLA starter. That's a different team because you got the yeah. most important position room that, that's enhanced two times. Um, Kentucky, three consecutive times. Now they went and got Levis from Penn State. They got Leary from NC State. And now they got Brock Vandergriff. Kentucky's not probably not going to be a national championship player, but tried to get I, the kid from Auburn that's playing tight end now. For his name yeah. escapes me, uh, hmm. the dual threat kid that's at UCF playing tight end. Yeah, escape both of us. Point being, I don't think that there's going to be. That was kind of a dovetail conversation, but I don't think there'll be a ton of roster separation. I, I think you will have a little bit, but I just think that era is maybe a little bygone yeah. in nature. And we, I'm not saying we may not have a year where someone you know, takes the Ole Miss approach to a, to even more of an extreme and they just load up like an all-star team. But even then, this is not baseball. Like football, there's that mortar between the bricks that, that is the difference between individual bricks and a wall. And that doesn't just happen. You don't just portal that stuff in. And so I think we're entering an era that we did not need playoff expansion for. This stuff right here, these other mechanisms were how you injected competitive balance into the equation. Um, also, I think the Miamis and Florida states of the world recruiting the state of Florida better has kind of quietly kept a lot of that South Florida talent that used to go to Columbus, Tuscaloosa and Clemson and Athens home. And that makes a difference. And then thirdly, um, what, what you have the opportunity to do every portal window cycle means no one's hopeless. No one's looking at their roster yeah. saying, man, we're screwed on offensive line next year. Like we, we, we're going to have two years minimum of a rebuild here. No one gets to use the word rebuild anymore, whether that's fair or not. I love how you, you talked about the quarterback situations because it used to be, okay, starter that had been successful for however many years leaves. Like, I don't remember if there actually was, let's say David Green finishes, Aaron Murray's not ready yet, or whoever else was next, or, you know, Bobo's done, and Zyre's Zyre's not ready, whoever it was. But point being, that guy's going to be great, but the the fifth-year guy probably going to have to go for a year, eight, nine, okay, good, but then watch out because other kids are going to have a year as a backup, everybody else back here and there, and we're going to be set, ready to go. It also makes me wonder about, and, and I say this because of a couple teams I was around this year, mainly Arizona and Washington. Where does culture fit into all of this? Because I know a lot of people hear that, and they, like, they hear Billy talking about it all the time, and there's other guys they hear talk about it, and they're just kind of roll their eyes like, eh, whatever. But I was around that Arizona team a pretty decent bit. I had two of their games, and I kept up with them, and I know some people on that staff that I talked to a lot this year, and 
all you heard was these kids love each other. Like they want to be great for the guy next to them and the guy in the locker room. And they just, they don't care who does it. And same thing with the Washington group, just mature group wants everybody to succeed, loves the guy next to them. How do you cultivate that? Is it more important, less important? Because then you have other guys, you know, we, we, we hear obviously Brian Kelly talking about it a lot. Parts of the culture looked amazing. Other parts of the culture, not so great. Billy's really struggling with it in Florida right now. And I'm a Billy Napier fan. And I think it can work given time anywhere with the way that he does it. Where does that fit into this equation? All right. So I've got a theory about this. Um, The short answer is the way you build a strong culture is the same way you've always done it. That's the short answer. The longer answer is um, in the portal era, I think a lot of people are going to put the word culture off to the side and they're going to think that there are shortcuts and ways around that because what we lack for in culture, we'll just make up for in the fact that we can out-athlete people. Yeah. And in some weeks, that's going to happen. Um, the, the stronger cultured team doesn't always win. But I am a believer that in the coming era, we will see more and more examples of a TCU two years ago, a Washington last year, because what is going to happen is you're going to have a lot of these teams, like we just talked about five minutes ago, where you have a lot of pieces that come together. Then you're going to have these little three-star laden engines that could out there that are senior, junior and senior laden. Uh, they, they are culture hubs. They are not portal destinations. They're off the beaten path, but, but they're a balled up fist. Right. And so you, you, you got a balled up fist Against, a, a, you know, there are five on five fingers here, five fingers for five stars, bunch of five stars um, who can slap fight their way to wins most weeks. But every now and then that right there is going to happen. And I think that we're probably setting up for an era where two things are happening simultaneously. One, you've got teams that can portal their way maybe to a title. But then also you've got teams trying to portal their way to a title who get upset by teams that on paper they have no business Uh, being competitive with. And it's because culture will always win. Like culture will always be effective. I just think that the recipe is setting up to where, you know, the sport's going in two different directions, but every now and then they're still going to converge. And that balled up fist is going to win about eight times out of 10 when they do. All right. So culture is obviously shifting in Tuscaloosa. It's going to be different no matter what, no matter how you want to spin it. And there are a lot of people that are trying to put their spin on exactly what is happening. And I feel like if a lot of those people would just take a deep breath and take a step back and sort of see it for what it is, it's not very hard to figure out. So what do you make, if I asked you to describe sort of the extent of the overreaction that is taking place with Alabama's roster for the last week and a half, how would you describe that? Um, I would say Thelma and Louise, but a little bit worse. I would say that they drove towards the edge of the cliff even faster than they did in the movie. Spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it. Uh, But at the same time now, it didn't matter when it was going to happen. When Nick Saban retired, I mean, unless Kirby came back and took over the program, the attrition was going to happen. I mean, the, the brand of Alabama, I think what hurts people's feelings the most is Bama folks were forced to be some of the last to realize that the days of kids committing to play for the school and the brand are all but gone. And I think that because Saban had been there so long and Saban got there in an era where that still mattered and he 
he spanned a decade and a half, more than a decade and a half. In the meantime, the rest of the world came to realize that doesn't matter as much anymore. It sucks. I miss that era, but yeah. it doesn't matter as much anymore. The rest of the world learned the lesson. Bama fans didn't have to um, because they they misconstrued kids committing to Bama versus kids committing to Nick Saban. Um, that's okay. That's why you hire Nick Saban. So, so you can conflate those two. But I think that's what's hurt their feelings the most. Now, there has been a lot of freak out, and it is a big deal when you lose this amount of players. I just think any other university in the same situation would lose the same amount. So it's not a Bama thing as much as it's just losing an iconic head coach in the modern age of college football thing. Um, but the other whole side of this that because you and I are recording at the end of the same week it happened, people hadn't really picked up on yet, is there are some insanely good football coaches that have been hired in Tuscaloosa, and no one's really going to give that the time of day because the greatest of all time is walking out the door. How could you ever talk about anything other than a massive drop-off? Well, um, the head coach OCDC combo that they're going to throw out there this fall I don't know how you feel about this because we hadn't talked about this beforehand. You can make an argument. It may be one of, if not the best in the SEC. Which players are they going to play with? We don't know yet. Yeah. How are they going to recruit long-term? We don't know yet. Is their NIL infrastructure going to be competitive with Georgia, Texas, et cetera? We don't know yet. But I'm talking about just like X's and O's coaching football. Yeah, they got some yeah. studs. They got some studs there. And, and so – that's the part I'm excited about. Now, in the meantime, I know it doesn't matter how good a cook you are if you don't have the right ingredients. I just I struggle to see an era coming where Alabama has to settle for scraps. Like I, I know that there was a saving <laughs> discount. I know that there was a long period of time there where kids uh, took half from Alabama as they would from a competitor because playing for Nick Saban meant that much in terms of future earnings for him. But if you're trying to sell me on the fact that the days of Alabama being a premier destination and being a premier player in recruiting are over, maybe you're right. It would be the first time in history. I would struggle to, to see that. So I think things are going to turn for them in talent acquisition. And then eventually people are going to come to realize, oh, wow, like DeBoer actually can cut it down here. And Wow, but Ryan Grubb? I'd never heard of him. Is that the one that turned down Saban for the OC spot a couple of years ago? Oh, that that's the same guy? I can see these conversations happening in Selma and Demopolis, et cetera, uh, about week three of year one. It's so wild how many different directions this can go. Because you're right about Saban, and it was really the perfect storm because – his brand was big enough. LSU, Dolphins, Michigan State. He, 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 had, he had built it up. He had enough of a brand that it was impactful. But you put that brand next to one of the most powerful brands in college football, and they both elevate, mm -hmm. and it's just this you know, death star of what are you going to do about it? And now that he steps away, that other brand is not dead. But it's like Wilt Fong told us on the show the other day when he talked to Caleb Downs' father, he said, even if he would have known that Saban was leaving after a year, he would have been there playing for him. That's what it meant for him to be a part of what he had done. Now, that's that equity we talked about again. So I wonder what does it take to build some of that equity up in the future? What is it? I, that, that maybe goes back to the culture thing that we talked about. Is it just who's winning? 
Is it just how can you convince a kid that he's going to have the best chance to win there? We all know that it's a lot of it's going to come down to the money and who's going to get the biggest bag and whatever. But the directions that it could go, it's really cool to think about because you're right. The brands don't matter as much. But I did an interview with Bruce Pearl this week, and he's talking about all these fourth and fifth year guys he's got on his team and how they've come together. And that's why his team is so good. And it's allowed him to have depth. So it, it and. Arizona just did it. Washington just did it in different ways. And it wasn't just all five stars. So it's just, it's going to be wild to watch moving forward because I, I don't really know where it goes and how it goes and what matters most, but it's wide open. It feels like right now in a lot of different ways. And it's going to be really cool. So that being said, going to 24, we talked about the rosters. We talked about what you're excited about and not excited about. One other misconception that bothers me a little bit, and I just want to get your thoughts on it is. 2024, easier or harder to win a national championship? Aha, uh-huh. I see what you're doing here. It is harder for everyone to win a national championship in the 12 team playoff, uh, in the 12 team playoff era. Interesting. Um, that's just, not what I'm hearing out there on the streets, case, Josh. The streets. Wanna, yeah, you might need you to step off campus for a day or two because no, well, the streets are saying different things. The streets are wrong, okay? I don't know how to put it to you. The streets are wrong. Uh, it's going to be harder for everyone to win a national championship moving forward. I don't really think that – I look, here's my personal philosophy on this. I do not think people are separating in their minds what it takes to – or what it means to make the playoff versus what it means to win a title. You just asked me, correct me if I'm wrong, will it be easier or harder to win a title? And yes. I said – it's going to be harder to win a title. And you're right in saying, oh, a lot of folks are going to disagree with you. They're thinking about what it takes to make the playoff. Mathematically, uh, at, at the very least, oh, it's easier to make the playoff. There are more spots. But, man, once you make it, you got to win more games now. And you may say, oh, well, the cream will still rise. Yeah, but – what happens if a scoop is taken out of the cream? What if playing an extra game means you lose your number one corner the week before you have to go up against uh, the best aerial attack in college football? What if LSU is going to Ann Arbor in the middle of December? There's so many other variables that are put in. And also, I don't know how long this ridiculous auto bid process is going to last, but right now you could be playing in the SEC and, you know, Texas, for example, could go undefeated in the regular season play Georgia in Atlanta. And if Georgia beats them, Texas is 12-1, and one, clearly one of the best teams in the country. They are not allowed a, a top-four seed. They're not allowed a, a home game in the playoff. Like They're going to have to go on the road. And, buddy, they may have to go on the road and play a G5 team the way it's currently structured. Like They it's would crazy. be seeded behind G5 teams. And um, so that's crazy. Uh, but yeah, like we, we will. You asked me what I'm excited about a little while ago. At least we're eventually going to get to see a Southern team play in cold weather late in the year. And people are going to realize that as long as everyone has to play in the same conditions, superior, faster athletes are still going to stand out on the field. Like it really doesn't matter. You're used to watching the NFL. Oh, look at the Dolphins. They look miserable against the Chiefs. <laughs> yes, yes, they did. Um, those are both professional football teams. There may come a day where Georgia goes to Wisconsin. And I can promise you, you will notice a difference in the caliber of player Georgia has Versus the player Wisconsin has, and I don't care if it's 23 degrees outside or not. It, it, will, it will stand out. All right, so going into next year as well, 
We've talked a little bit about coaching staffs, and you've complimented the Alabama staff, but there are a lot of schools that have made a lot of changes. And I, I, you don't have to go top to bottom here. It could be a guy, just one guy that you think because he's there, they won the coaching wars, the staff wars this offseason. You think, obviously, A&M, Alabama, Washington, Arizona, but LSU's made a couple of changes. Ohio State made a big hire today. If I asked you to give me your personal winner of the staff wars this offseason, who would that be and why? I'm, you know what I'm very curious to see is what Jeff Collins does as a defensive coordinator again. He tried his hand at head coach. Uh, it didn't work out at Georgia Tech. He goes and takes the D.C. role at North Carolina, and it's a hire not many people talked about. I'm very interested to see what happens there. I think everyone's paying attention to Drake May not being there anymore. And in the interim, I'm looking and saying it, it that's a really good roster still. Like if they if they upgrade the defensive side of the ball, who knows what could happen in the ACC. But elsewhere, I'm I'm looking at LSU. Like I'm with you on LSU. Like I think it got Corey Raymond to come back home the other yep. day. I'm really interested to see uh, what they do. Hugh Freeze has made some moves. Sort of off the radar, all the oxygen's been taken out of the room by Nick Saban. And, you know, you got Lane Kiffin tweeting some subtle emoji every other day about Derek Nixon. And all of a sudden, well, there he is in Auburn anyway. Who's going to call the plays? Will he or won't he? I have a theory that I think Hugh Freeze should almost make a spectacle out of the spring game and, like, broadcast to the world that Derek Nix is calling every offensive <laughs> play. And he should actually let the broadcast tap into it and, and just use, like, dummy terminology just to rub it in people's faces. And people who know the backstory know the backstory. But those are a few that I've had my eye on. Yeah, LSU, I mean, you talk about Scott Woodward being the big game hunter. And I know it may not have been all his decision. Brian Kelly obviously had a lot to do with it. But you had major defensive line deficiencies, had to bring in Pete Jenkins last year, and you go get Bo Davis, like yeah. that's, that's as good as it gets. So massive hire there. Uh, the North Carolina situation, Max Johnson, turnover genome, it's not going to matter. It does not leave your DNA. Um, there's no Jurassic Park medicine for that. It, it hasn't happened, and it won't happen. So I don't think Jeff's really going to make that big of a difference from that perspective. So, But having said that – You're um, telling me that you don't think Jeff Collins – is a we'll good make, enough quarterback. Oh yeah, coach. no, he can make it. No, I'm not, not there. No, I was. Well, I was thinking you were going to say that Hugh should let Derek Nix call the defense in the spring game, which I was going to be even. That would be uh, incredible. Just, look, I just then, need him to call plays. That's all I, I have. I just that's always said. He's calling plays. All right. So that being said, when the when the dust is settled, when it's all clear, who wins the Derek Nix situation? Uh, I thought you were about to ask me who wins the who wins the national championship this year. I would have probably it's answered. It's a little early for that. But. Um, I, well, I don't know. What's your answer to this? I think the answer is Auburn. What's your answer to this? Uh, it's I definitely think it's Auburn because I. it's like we talk about with – let's just say we talk about it with, with cheating in college football. We all say it happens here, it happens there. Prove it. Prove it. Yeah. Yeah. So if if the six hundred and fifteen or fifty or seventy five thousand dollars, whatever it is, for not calling plays, and you don't think that's taking place, and you're actually going to go hire an attorney to try to go after this, which would be about as petty as it could be, <laughs> still I guess contractually fair, um, prove it. And how and, are you going to? 
And look, I mean, hey, you know, I, I'm a guy with a show, so I encourage it. Please do so. And, um, you know, I'll break the news for you. But, you know, that is that is an interesting little subplot. I don't think 98 percent of the college football public's even aware that that's going on. But it, that's it, there is no other conference that would ever happen in. Uh, and there is no other pair of programs. Well, there's no other head coach that would. Yeah, take well, that's what I'm saying. You, 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 if I tell you that's happening, like, hey, you've you've been away, like you took a trip to the moon over the past week or two. Um, welcome back. Here's your debriefing. There is a coach who is trying to enforce language that in order for another coach to leave him, he has to take a job as a play caller. And there's a lot of speculation about whether he'll file a lawsuit to find out whether that guy went elsewhere and is calling plays. You would have said Lane Kiffin lost who? Where did he go? That's what you would have said. His are the rankings, whatever they are. I don't even know how some of these portal rankings happen. If, are you are you judging like how they were as a player? Is it stats? Is it amount of plays? Because some guys haven't played and they're ranked high in the portal. I, I don't even know how collectively they're all put together. But is there a clear winner or winners right now? In the is it, is it Ole Miss and A and M? Is it Ole Miss A and M Texas? Are they far and away? Ahead of what everybody else has done in the portal this offseason? Dude, I look at it differently, too. Um, I think Ohio State's the winner. Like, Ole Miss has gone and gotten, as of recording, seven guys that 24-7 would rate a blue-chip player. So they would be ranked number one. Or, or I think uh, A&M and Ole Miss are like right up there, one, two, any order. But to me, the winner is the team that's pretty much already there anyway and then adds a Quinchon Judkins. And as yeah. a Caleb Downs, like right as we're recording, Caleb Downs has gone to Ohio State. And it's just like that is that is a bombshell move. That is an earthquake of a move in the transfer portal. And so check Twitter combine, while recording show. Hold yeah, on there you see. go. When, when we're combining that with they're returning 4-0 linemen, uh, they're returning JTT, they're returning Jack Sawyer, they're returning Denzel Burke. They got a Buka mm. back. They added Will Howard in the portal, which they believe is an upgrade. And then you just got Caleb Downs spurning Georgia for a second time and going to Ohio State. That's the winner in the portal. Oh, all right, so let's react to it since it just happened. Um, and I'm with you. You know what it reminds me of a little bit is Georgia last year in the portal. Because nobody was really peeing their pants about any individual that they got. But it's like if you watched Dominic Lovett, yeah, and you watch Georgia the year before. You're like, yeah, Lad McConkey's really good in the slot, but now they have another guy on the other side that can take the jet sweeps and can take the quick throws. Oh, by the way, that Rah Rah Thomas kid for the team you probably didn't watch a whole lot. He's a big physical red zone fifty fifty ball threat that really there's not a lot you can do about. It's very it feels very similar to that where I would you a lot of people are going to have him plugged in to at least play for a title. And now you throw in these little pieces that they really kind of needed, even though they're not super high. Now, Judkins and Downs, super high profile, of course. I think Will Howard is a step up. I think he's going to be really good. Um, I like to see him address the offensive line a little bit further than they have. But, man, you've got the best running back in college football, and you might have the next best running back in college football behind him when he's healthy. That's pretty scary. And if the quarterback thing works, they're always going to have receivers. We never worry about that there. And we talked about that defense. It hasn't been as physical, but now you have a lot of the physical pieces coming back. And it could look a little bit more like the 07, the 17 defenses that we've seen. That's kind of scary to think about. And and maybe some of those things we just said about Ryan Day, we need to retract all of a sudden. Well, so that's going back to what we were talking about. When 
I know we're still early in the whole transfer portal era, but whenever we're grading who won the transfer portal, I don't look at it as just aggregating numbers. I look at it as, did you add a Jamison Williams three years ago? Uh, FSU adding Keon Coleman. It was obvious from week one last year that guy could change the ACC and change the playoff race just himself. And so I'm looking at a guy like Caleb Downs. I'm looking at a guy like Judkins. There are going to be three or four games this year for Ohio State where you could look and say, uh, one of those guys just made the difference in the outcome here. Like they could single handedly, they're good enough to where they could change the trajectory of a conference race or a playoff race. Yeah. Those, that's how you win the portal to me. Yeah. It's, and that Alabama class you mentioned too. Because Jamison Williams, I remember I went and found a photograph with like all those other Ohio State receivers, and he was like running off the sideline to celebrate with them. Yep. It's like, okay, maybe this is why he wasn't on the field quite as much because these other dudes are pretty good. So Bama gets him, and then they also get Steen from Vanderbilt, who started every game at left tackle. Again, not a super high profile name, but I know that Amos and Key had a lot to do with a couple of wins late last year when some guys were dinged up. That helped a bunch. So it's, man. That's um, that's interesting. And then Texas, too, like you said. Oh, yeah. Jatavion Sanders to the NFL. Oh, that's okay. We'll bring in Amari Nyblack, who runs 22 miles an hour. Don't worry about it. We're all good. Oh, Xavier Worthy's going to the NFL. Cool. We got Isaiah Bond, who maybe made the best catch in the history of Alabama football. Don't worry about it. We're good. So it's, it's filling in those pieces of guys that are also going to be gone. Maybe upgrades. Maybe not upgrades, but helps the depth. Just as, just as close, just as good. Yeah, that's um, I'm with you on kind of how we view the portal, but that one that you just threw out, that's really interesting. So well, that's, that's going to change a lot of people's opinions on a lot of things. Oh, dude, look, first off, candidly, I thought you knew it had happened. That's why I was sharing text no. with you before we went on air. Um, but I'm happy to have broken the news to you. So <laughs> now that you're aware that Caleb Downs has gone to Ohio State, um, do you, do you understand how in the weeds you have to be as a fan to really get this on multiple fronts. So you've got the Bama front where Caleb Downs um, it was like Minka Fitzpatrick 2.0 walking in there, started like week one of spring practice at safety for Saban yep. and uh, just like model citizen, everything you could ever want in a football player. So he walks out the door that sucks for them. But what was really going to suck is they thought they were going to lose him to Georgia because T-Rob just went to Georgia. And there was thinking that you know he was going to follow T-Rob. And so Bama folks lose maybe the best football player on their team, candidly. Yeah. But because he doesn't go to Georgia, since they had resigned themselves already, okay, he's leaving, but he's not going to Georgia. They feel like they had a win today as we're recording because it just happened, which is weird in and of itself. Then you've got the Georgia dynamic where that – infamous B-roll is circulating after Kirby gets beat in the SEC title game. He makes sure to dap up two folks, Traveris Robinson, who is now Cody C and Caleb Downs, who now again, they've missed on. And so you got Georgia folks looking around saying, wow, like how, how, how deep rooted is the dislike between the Downs family and this program that he, we got him, we, we, he left state to play for Alabama, and he had a chance to come back home and instead goes to Columbus, not Georgia, but Ohio. And so you got all kind of layers here. And then you've got you got the Bama folks freaking out, but then Kalen DeBoer's got Ryan Williams on campus for an official visit this weekend. And like Kirby's roster is going to be loaded regardless because, oh, by the way, they've still got Malachi Starks over there. It's just a nice backup option to have there at safety if you don't have Caleb Downs. 
Uh, it's January. Do you understand that there are capitals <laughs> out there using the O word, the off season? People think this. People think things are done now, and it, we could go for two hours tonight if we wanted to. Yeah, no doubt. Because I was going to ask you, like, we talk about all these problems with the portal. Is there a fix? Is there a quick fix? Like, is there a, a if, if we could just do this, the majority of the problems go away? Because what I've always said is the biggest issue with college football right now, Josh, is we refuse to meet in the middle. Yeah, there is a refusal to meet in the middle. It is. No, old school, got to have it this way, do that. And then there's the new school, give the players all the power. Here comes Thomas Mars and his college football ambulance chasing people left and right, wanting to sue them. There is no, you know what? Okay, we'll we'll give a little bit there. We'll meet you here and we'll solve our problems and we'll all come together and that'll yeah. be it. It's everybody wants it their way right away right now or nothing at all. And the NCAA came in and said, you know what? We have no control over any of it. So to hell with all of it, just take it. You can have it. We don't care. Just whatever you do, don't sue us. You can transfer in season and play somewhere else. We don't give a damn. Just don't sue us, please. God, just don't sue us. It doesn't matter. You want to enroll in January? You want to enroll on the moon? We don't care. Just don't sue us, whatever you do. Yeah. There can be no more meeting in the middle. Therefore, it's become maybe a bigger split than we've ever seen. And you talk about the calendar on your show a lot. And it's so accurate because it's so dysfunctional and it's so out of whack. And I'm to the point now where I'm not even sure just a calendar retroactive fix could solve a lot of these problems. Some, yes, it would put a couple, it would end a couple problems, but I don't even know if that would just take us to the end of a couple of the massive issues we have right now in college football. Yeah. So here's where we're past the point of no return on. I don't think there's a way um, to fix the problems we're talking about, calendar included, and not acknowledge that there is a difference between the Big Ten and the SEC and everyone else. And whoever else wants to jump on those boats, go ahead. But like the ACC and the Big 12 are never, ever catching up to what those two entities are. So if you're a Clemson, Florida State, Miami, um, you either got to accept that and just hope for the best fate possible or hop in those boats while you can. But forget about that. So you got the SEC and the Big Ten. All right, so right now there's a lot of conversation going on um, Charlie Baker was in front of Congress this past week, accomplishing absolutely nothing. But part of the nothingness that they accomplished was he pleaded, do not give employment status. We cannot have employment status given to these players because most athletic departments operate in the red and it would bankrupt them. And he's right about that. But that doesn't mean all of them operate in the red. The ones in the power too, every single one of them, conference affiliated at least, could afford to pay players. So there is coming a day where they're probably going to have to get this fixed by granting some kind of revenue sharing, some kind of employment status. It's just that everyone can't afford to do it. And what I'm about to say sucks, by the way, because I wish we could hit rewind on all of it, but we can't. It's probably going to take a breaking away from those two entities and enacting their own legislation and enacting their own calendar and, and looking at the academic side of things and saying, look, at, as best we can, we'll adhere to this. But it was it's been foolish for a long time to assume that this kid's going to South Carolina because uh, they've got an anthropology major that he's been interested in. Like we're going to we're going to treat him as athlete students, not student athletes. And we can afford to share revenue. And if UCLA can't because it would sink their volleyball program. That's okay. We're just going to operate differently over here and we're going to police ourselves. And I think that's going to happen. It just can't happen across the board. So 
at that point, when you police yourselves and you're sharing revenue, you can get guys to sign contracts, actually, that lock them in for a minimum of two or three years on a scholarship. And and then you've got guardrails, those precious guardrails that we lack right now. And you can have a lot of the structure that we lack. You can re oh, you can overhaul your calendar because you have collective bargaining. And I don't even know how that works, oh. by the way, because players ah. only work for three or four years. But um, like I said, I hate all that. But I think that's probably the answer to yeah. what, what it takes to fix things. I think there's a lot of people like me right now that are saying, wait, there's a major at the wrong time. That's what, well, you yeah, that too. Saying. Yeah. There's a major, God, I don't, I forget who it was, Josh. I saw somebody tweeting the other day about an offensive lineman. I remember thinking like, he's okay, but he's not great. And he was mad that one school didn't offer him something and the place that he ended up going offered him like 32,000 a month. Poverty. Poverty. I was like, I'm sorry, sick of it to so I say what? What is that? Is that Celsius or Fahrenheit? What <laughs> dollars are we talking about? I was happy if I got thirty-two dollars. Yeah, yeah. thirty-two thousand. Um, but no, I was thinking there's a lot of people confused about. There's a major at South Carolina where my wife buys candles. That's interesting. Um, didn't oh. know that was a real thing. Uh, she shops in anthropology a lot, so that's cool. I'm going to tell you to follow up what you just said about when we went coffee and we went all these other things. All those things you said are really cool and really great. But remember that I told you this. It will never be enough. Because I said it then, and I'm going to say it now. It will never be enough. I think and that's right. for both sides. That's from, that's from the administration. That's from the students. And then that's also from, and when I, the reason I cringed when you said collective bargaining is the Ramogi Humas and the guy that played at Clemson that has his fake uh, player union too. I don't know how you're a president of something that doesn't exist, but I guess you can be if you just want to do that in your brain. That's that that make that just makes me. Uh, I just mm-mm. don't like it, don't want it. But I, I agree with you. That's probably where we're headed. And it's the representation in that in that world. The representation of the players is by ten miles going to be the biggest crowbar in the bicycle spokes because players are in and out in three or four year cycles, unless you're Cam McCormick and you hang around a decade, but there will be people who become institutionalized as player reps. And I mean, there is no world where that does not become fraught with sketch aftness and corruption. And we're talking about what? 133, 80 some, I can't do that math. Was that like 17, 1700 players A a year? And X amount gone for good, X amount going to a different place, X amount going down, going up to levels that maybe do fall into that category, don't fall into that category. The, the organization of it just feels impossible. Yeah. Really, but unless what you said, two entities go their own direction and say, thank you for playing. Don't need you anymore. I think that's got to be it. Yeah. And I think the even bigger question, more interesting question would be what happened. We're going to do a whole different show on this one day. What happens to everybody else? I don't know. Do do they try to make their own thing, do their own thing? At some point in time, everyone else has, has, they've got to let go of the bottle and they've, they've got to move from, they've got to move to, you know, away from formula to real food. It's got to happen at some point. You can't just be sitting there letting your mom shove the bottle in your mouth forever and just hoping that it keeps coming. Some point in time, they got to move on and say, "All right, we'll make our own. We can we can do this ourselves." So, man, I, we like you said, we could go two more hours just on players in different places and doing different things. I appreciate you hanging out. 
Uh, I know a lot of stuff going around. You offer clarity to, I appreciate your opinion on that little show that you got going over there somewhere, wherever that thing is. I think it's out there somewhere in space, the but late kick with Josh, go to YouTube and subscribe right you this second. You know my last name. You've said Josh twice. Are you aware of my last name? Is the name of the show late kick with Josh Pate? Yes. Look, I got my last name on the bottom of the screen here. You're Cole. Yeah. I got a first and last name. You're uh, just you're just some little feral child wandering the mall. I may or may not be on television. Stains on your I mouth. I may or may not have played. Okay, late kick with Josh Pate. I just looked at the logo. There you go. Right. I didn't make that logo. I don't know where it came from, but thank you. Why does it have to be so descriptive? Like there's like there's there's not too many Joshes out there. I don't know. I think That's we would it. all know who it is. Meemaw told me about branding and cargo ships when I grew up. <laughs> we'll do it again soon, man. Thanks for joining. All right, man. Gosh, a lot of fun. Cool interview. We went a lot of different directions. Some that I thought we were going to go. Some that I wasn't sure we were going to go. But either way, just a, a good college football discussion with one of the best in the business. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe if you're watching on YouTube right now. Like, subscribe. Uh, drop that elbow, as uh, the dude on Griff's Garage would say to the Monster Truck videos that my son watches. Um, and then if you're listening on podcasts as well, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, give us that review. Five stars. We need it. Also, subscribe. Appreciate that. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. We'll be back next week, man. This thing's not slowing down. Guys in the portal. Coaches on the move. May have a national championship coach on the move. And we will be back next Sunday to discuss it all with you right here on Cube Show. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen.